Hey friends, Bobby here. Okay, thanks for checking out the Bobby Bones Show podcast. Obviously, that's why you're on this feed. I appreciate you listening and subscribing. But also, like I do about every, I don't know, 34 months here, I want to recommend to you the Bobby Cast, which is my music podcast that I do from my house. You know, I sit down with your favorite artists. Most of them are country. Occasionally not. Like this week, Lisa Loeb is on. Next week, uh, we have lined up Adam Duritz from the Counting Crows. Mostly it's country, but I wanted to play you a really really good one that we did a few weeks ago. So if you like this, you can go subscribe to the Bobbycast. I mean, it's deep dive stuff. We're there for an hour. You get to know them. And so I wanted to share this conversation that I had with Brothers Osborne. They opened a lot about the struggles they've had over the past couple of years. TJ talked about why he decided to finally share his story. Uh, same thing. Both, both these guys came on and were just so honest and pretty cool conversation. If you don't mind, be sure to subscribe to the Bobbycast. Just search for it wherever you listen to your podcast. And If you hit that follow button and you leave us a five-star review, that helps us out a lot. And it's also good luck for you. So if you believe in luck, if you do that today, you will have good luck. And if you don't, you'll have bad luck. All right. Here it is. Brothers Osborne that was featured a few weeks ago on the Bobbycast. In studio now with Brothers Osborne, which I was on my Peloton... I don't know if either one of you guys ride the, the Peloton at all. Do you even have one? I, I, I bought one. Uh, I don't And have it looks one. great sitting in my house. But you understand the concept <laughs> of it. I do, it. You yes. You get on, yes. there's people on. Sometimes yes. you're live, sometimes you're not. And I'm on, and one of you guys' songs come on. And I'm riding along to it. Do you, like, what? how does that deal get worked out? Because they got in a lot of trouble for playing everybody's music, and now they can't play everybody's music. They can only play some. We have know. no idea what's going on ever. Yeah. I mean, I don't. We don't know. I did wonder about that, but it can't be like the most like extravagant amount of money. No, no, would it just be probably the same as a stream, like point oh oh? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like okay, let's go after them so we can make seventy five dollars. You know, like I'm just like just use it. I don't know. But it was a nice mix of music. It was like Drake, and you could tell the 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 girl was like nineteen and blonde and you know kind of bubbly, and she was like, "I just love Brothers Osborne." I didn't believe her. Not that you guys aren't able to be loved, no, but no. she was going one after the other. It was like, I'm big, I'm a big Drake fan. Oh, this is Lil Baby. I Lil just ba- love Brothers Osborne. <laughs> yeah. Brothers and I was Osborne. like, does she really? Or is this just a good sounding song? No, but, it's probably just a good sounding song. But it's I, it's that's good Dan company, though. That's what I, that's what our next album's going to be featuring Lil Baby. Lil He's Lil like Baby. featured on every, I don't even know a Lil Baby song. I already know features with Lil Baby. Yeah. Lil Baby. Lil Baby. Well, there's all there's Lil Baby, and then there's Duh Baby. Duh Baby. Duh Baby. Don't, and don't get them confused. I know. Because if you do, that's insulting to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, little baby and, and dub. I just assumed to not say anyone's name ever. Well, you, I, I don't even don't do, do it, it. In, in person. I, I uh-uh. wouldn't do it anymore. Meaning, if I were to just have seen you around, and and I'm like, oh, I think I know that guy's name, but I'm not gonna bet. I don't even know if I met him. But I'm not sure. Hey, man, good to see you again. Yeah, what's up, buddy? You good to see you. You can't go wrong with good to see you. No. You can't, you can't tell everyone our trade secrets here. No, this is oh, a Nashville yeah, yeah. trade secret that everyone knows about. In fact, <laughs> Just- the, the, the good to see you is a very is the Nashville hello because we, we meet a lot of people here. We see people every day. And, you know, especially when they're not in the right context, it takes your brain that compartmentalizes things uh, a second to realize who they are. And um, I met Kenny Rogers, uh, you know, RIP. I met Kenny Rogers a few years ago, and he did a good to see it to me. And I was like, that is amazing for a multitude of reasons. One, he did the Nashville hello, the good to see you. Two, he doesn't know if he's ever met me or not. So he said, good to see you. Three, I'm a thousand percent sure I had never met Kenny Rogers. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And he was super cool. I saw Mike Duncan, who's a big deal here in town. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I saw him at like a grocery store, and I. My mind just wouldn't put him in a grocery store, and I couldn't remember who it was. I've talked to him a thousand times. Oh, I think yeah. he's been in here. Yes. He's, oh yeah. 
and I know him. If I were to see him at a show, I would be like, Mike, what's up, buddy? Yeah. But because we were near Carrots, I was like, I can't compute. <laughs> I know. I don't know who that is. I can totally relate <laughs> to that. The environment's not the same thing. Yeah. Have you guys played yet? Have you guys done shows We've yet? Done, We've done some shows. Know, we um, Seven shows, maybe? Yeah. we uh, uh, Yeah, it was our third. We just finished like, our third weekend out, and it's been a lot of fun. We've all, uh, A couple of them have been festivals, which have been a lot of fun. And then we just recently, this past weekend, did some of our first like headline shows. Um, and that's been really fun because we put a, a record out last year and uh, it's it, it's one, it's obviously awesome to get back in front of fans again, but it's also the first time that we've been able to perform our new music to anybody and just kind of see what they're responding to. And, and not to mention, we've had some more singles out since last time we toured. So being able to add those into the set, it's been a lot of fun. And this year we, I know some people wanted to like dial it back a little bit and kind of. Uh, get some of their money back they lost through the pandemic. <laughs> we did the opposite. We're like, let's lose more money. No, we so we really try to step our, our live show up this this time around. Uh, we always do, but obviously, as you grow, you can only grow as fast as your budget allows you to. But this uh, this time around, we were like, you know, I think we just really wanted to put on a show that just stood out from the rest, considering everyone is going back on tour right now. Yeah. So I feel really good about it. We put a lot of work into it, but I'm I'm excited for for the fans, especially the fans that have seen us. It's, you know, dozen plus, you know, fifty. Some of these people have seen so many shows. I'm like, how do you afford to do this? I know, but, I um, know. I, I feel self conscious when there's someone like there's a particular uh, Katie who I know will be listening to this at some point. She has seen nearly a hundred shows, and it makes you self conscious. You're like, you've heard this same damn bit and routine a hundred times. <laughs> how can you find this interest? I'm falling asleep up here. How can you find this interesting? You know what's great about music. And there's, a, I mean, a lot of great things. But as opposed to what I do when I tour and I do stand-up is that you guys can play It Ain't My Fault for 10 years. Yeah. If yeah. I work hard and I have the and I have a joke, and I've got four or five of them that I'll do any, I'll do a, a corporate gig still because they, they didn't ever come watch me tour. But if I write a joke or I have a whole bit that's like three or four minutes and I've just died, I've cut it just right, dialed it, I got my, my everything's down. Yeah. I can do it once. Yep, that's it. Right. That's all you and get. And I can never do it again. It is. Although yeah. I have seen some comedians and we've had uh, 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 some friends of ours who, who are out, go out and do that and they'll do like one kind of like, okay, there's all the new material. I'm going to do the greatest hit. Like here's the one that really made me famous and it still is funny when you if get to hear it. If you address it as a greatest hit, nothing yeah. I've ever done has been great. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Here's the mediocre one that I worked on for six months. I, the only time I've I, I covered, I even covered a joke once. The first time that the Opry hadn't had a lot of comedians on for a long time after, because uh, there was the whole 90s, Foxworthy. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, we were just backstage there, and they just did like a whole reel of the comedians. And it was it's awesome, right? Totally yeah. incredible. I'm like, where is that? So after, You're bringing it back. The, so they had come to me, Sally Williams, who used to run the Opry, was mm -hmm. like, hey, we really want to get back into comedy. And we know that, one, you're funny. Two, you can implement a little music. And three, you're clean. We don't have to worry about you. Because I love the Opry. My, yeah, yeah. my grandmother made me. I didn't at first. My grandmother made me when I was like seven. I was like, why am I watching this over? Right. <laughs> but, but then you, I, start, I have a real affinity. I yes. produce a TV show for the Opry now. Oh, yeah. And so... The first time I got to go on and do comedy, I went up and I did my whole set, 11 minutes. You know, it's not like the opera is a full half hour. Yeah. But I go But 11 and, minutes, that's a long, that's it, a lot like a long of content. Time, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would normally do an hour, right, when I was yeah. doing theaters. But I, 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 and it's also a weird crowd because they didn't come to see me. Mm. Some of them don't even know who I am. <laughs> yes, and, part, they do. and some of them are 90. They don't even know right. what I'm talking about. I mean, right. it, it feels the same way. I mean, it feels the same way for us when we play there. I mean, I love playing it for a multitude of reasons, but it can be the a really tough. hard crowd to play to. And yeah. at, the, at the very end, it's the only time I've covered a joke. It was, I said, hey, 
I said, for all you guys out there, like, this is special for me because my whole life, I watched the Opry. Mm-hmm. I, or I listened to the Opry, depending on when it was on TV, on, you know, TNN or... Oh, yeah. Or say, or, I said, and my grandmother, who's not alive anymore and adopted me for a long part of my life, I said, this, her favorite comedian was Jerry Clower. And we would watch Jerry Clower on the Opry. Woo-wee! I mean, yep. we, that we'd watch him. <laughs> and it seems like he was on every month. Mm-hmm. And so I did my favorite Jerry Clower joke. And I did it. And to me... Even though I didn't write that joke, that's the best freaking joke I've ever told because yeah. it actually it meant something to me. To you, yeah. 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 I know. Well, you know what? It's especially when you're a new artist out and you go out and you start playing songs and you get like your first single. It's kind of doing something, and then you cover Hank Williams, and everyone goes bananas for it. You know, it's yeah. like it's literally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh man. Yeah. I, we. Oh, there's this great um, special <laughs> special called Talking Funny. It's like Louis C.K., Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Ricky Gervais. And um, Jerry Seinfeld said something that, for me, kind of resonated in a, in a very strange way. Um, you know, a musician will get up. We'll get up and play a song. Even if it's a new song, we have three, roughly three to four, maybe five minutes, and we play the song, right? And then they decide whether it's cool or not. Whereas a musician, or uh, sorry, a, a comedian, they're judged like every 10 to 15 seconds. So, and it, it can really go off the rails. So if we do a song that was like, wow, that wasn't really much. Well, let's just do It Ain't My Fault, and we'll win them back. A comedian, they're literally judged, judged, yeah. judged. So it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of guts. I never really thought about that yet. And once, I feel like once a comedian loses the room, they, they very rarely get it back. Unless, yeah. unless, and I'll say this, because when I will do a theater, 15 to 2,000 people, right? Mm-hmm. And we're in a theater, and they came to see me. And I know the first 10 minutes they're giving me for free because they're just happy to be there. Yes. I can go out and just be like, what's up, everybody? Yeah. They ha, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. funny. Oh, yeah. There's always a mark. Between like eleven and fifteen, where you got to start to earn, start to earn that ticket, mm-hmm. and start. And I will really hit them with the hits, the moderately decent stuff mm-hmm. around eleven to fifteen, and then I'll start to sprinkle in some new stuff. And when it doesn't work, I have the one crutch that some comedians don't, where I just grab my guitar and I play a funny. And you can hide behind a guitar. Oh yeah, you that's literally can. Story of my life. I can play <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> you're I like, do that. You're telling me. Yeah. I, I do. I want to talk about the genesis of the group because um, you guys haven't ever done this podcast here before. But I do want to talk about the genesis, which I know and obviously you guys know. But to a lot of my friends who love your music from kind of the outside edges, they're like, which one has the beard? Yeah. Which one doesn't? But mm-hmm. you have the beard too, TJ. Yeah, but I yours mean, well, is it's just... very obvious which one they're referring right. to. They're referring to when they say beard. Uh, I like have a very, very you know tight beard situation and john is so bearded that the people just I, automatically yeah. think that i'm clean shaven honest to god if you if i were to close my eyes without looking at you and said who has the beard and who doesn't i would have bet money you didn't have a beard P- people say the clean shaven one is the clean. The and i'm like i haven't shaved in like eight uh, years i, I yeah. honestly yeah, do you guys watch the office at all oh, oh yeah, yeah, Sta- yeah they're debating if stanley has a mustache yeah. <laughs> yeah, if totally. you would have done that with you and your beard i would have said you didn't have a beard <laughs> yeah Okay, I mean, comparatively oh speaking, God. though, if you were sitting next to Bobby, you would have a beard, but you're sitting next to me. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, his is tightly, tightly shaven. Mine's very, I got a loose beard. Let's go back, just, let's go back to the beginning of just you guys' childhood um, and when you started to play music. Because, John, you're older? Correct. How, how much older? Uh, two and a half years. Does that mean that you had two and a half years of music before TJ ever started doing music? Not really. Not really. You know, our parents played music, and um, it was just always around. Um, and we both, I don't know, I think we both kind of got into it roughly at the same time. Probably roughly, but, you know, I think, um, you know, really the thing that's kind of weird to think about, I was thinking about this the other day, 
someone asked about your parents, they play. And I was like, yeah, they do. And it made me think about really the first time that both John and I really wanted to learn how to play and learn how to contribute music to any degree was simply just so we could join the family or mainly our dad and our uncle and our cousin who played um, just at the kitchen table. I was like, God, if I can, because they wouldn't let us just come there and bang on a guitar and make nonsense. They were like, if you learn how to play and you can come and play, then do that. So we were like, oh man, I can't wait to play at the kitchen table. That was like the, that was the mark. Um, and so that, and then to, to really think about going this far, I mean, you, you kind of dream about that. I think every kid does, you know. Um, but wow, I mean, it's been such a long way. But it, it's that was really kind of the first thing that that lit the fire under us was just simply so we could just kind of join the join the family yeah, around I, the kitchen table. I remember when I just started playing guitar, and I started when I was around twelve or thirteen, and um, I all I wanted to do was play around the table, like he said, with our dad, our uncle Bill and our cousin Johnny, and uh, they wouldn't let me because I had to practice. And they were right. They, they said that we want you to practice, and you can't just thumb around. You have to be good enough to play. And then um, that gave that inspired me to actually want to be good enough to be able to play at the kitchen table with everybody. That's well, where it all started. And another thing that was really cool in that moment is both, uh, particularly our dad and, and our Uncle Bill, had originals that you know our, our uncle bill grew up in a band mm-hmm. um and uh he was adopted at a, at a young age and we didn't get to um my dad didn't even know him till really later in life and when they met each other they were both, both musicians wow. and both wrote songs and, and it was bought just, the same guitar they had both the had the same, same ovation quick sidebar then nature or nurture yeah, yeah, who knows know. man I mean, it's a little bit of both i'd imagine really crazy though i mean honestly yeah they had the exact same ovation mm-hmm. and um uh, which is like funny now like no one has an ovation anymore. <laughs> no but um, so anyhow, so that was the thing. They would sit around, they'd play, you know, they'd cover Bob Seger songs or could be George Jones, and then they would throw in their originals. And I always thought, man, that's so cool, like, to have these original songs. And um, they actually had some really good material. I mean, there's still yeah, songs to this songs. day that I'm like, man, that'd be really cool. So was it the brother? You open that door, Mike. It is pretty, pretty balls hot in here. Um, did Was it the thing where one brother picks up the guitar, but then you're stuck with the bass? Not really. Because <laughs> that happens a lot in families where the older brother's playing the lead, and it's yeah. like, all right, Sammy, you got to play the bass. Player. Yeah. yeah, I think it was like, you know, well, John's playing guitar, and I'm like, I got a lot of work to do to get up there. Just, <laughs> you, you keep doing that. I'm not going to try to catch up to you. I'll we actually, play, I'll play we the both bass. played uh, a lot when, when we were kids, and we both ended up playing the bass at the same time. We actually, I was the first, like, in our elementary school, Deal Elementary School, I was a member of the first Deal Elementary Symphony Orchestra, and it consisted of three violins. It was me, uh, a girl named um, Emma Barrett, I think her name was. This is like 100 years ago. And Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Reed or something like that. And it was three kids. And I, I just watched a video of it like six months ago, and it sounded atrocious. Oh, <laughs> it was so bad. You could tell we were really yeah, trying to really You got earplugs on, upon entry. Oh, my God, it's so bad. And then um, we both started playing the violin, and neither of us were very good. And the reason why we ended up start we, we ended up on bass because when we moved on to like middle school and uh, the teacher saw that we were tall basically we were just taller than all the kids and our hands were too damn big for the violin so he just put us on the bass yeah. almost a similar thing of like well you they needed you're bass the, players they're like, yeah please. we need bass players <laughs> so a we, different big brother yeah they're like we don't need <laughs> yeah. we don't need another crabby violinist like please just go over and play bass will you and then we our big hands I was like oh this is cool and it worked and actually side note any musician that's listening will understand this but a bass is uh t- is tuned similar to a guitar they're tuned in fourths and a violin's in fifth so it made sense more sense to me so. You're playing music in school. You're playing music around the table. 
But did you two ever, because I know you didn't move to, TJ, you didn't move with John to Nashville. No. Not a first. Not a first, no. So that wasn't the plan for you guys when you're 16. We're going to be a duo. We're going to be a duo. The greatest duo of all time. (laughs) Well, that was our mom's plan, probably. No, she had a plan with uh, with our sister, Natalie. Uh, I believe you've met her. She's She's wonderful. Uh, I, I feel like she should run for mayor of Nashville because everyone Easy. knows her. Quite all the time, people are like, "Oh wow, you're Natalie's brother," and I'm like, "What do I have to do?" <laughs> I know to get some, you know, some recognition. <laughs> I'm on TV. Here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, but um, so originally, my mom, her plan was that it would be John and I and Natalie, and that I would get on the microphone. And I would say, "Hey, I'm TJ Osborne," and I would say, "And I'm John Osborne," and Natalie would say, "I'm Natalie Osborne," and together in unison, we would say, "And we are." The siblings. <laughs> that was my mom's grand plan. And so we were like, we're going to stay far away from that idea. And so John came down, was in a, a band called King Billy that had a lot of traction at the time and um, a lot of amazing musicians and songs and in that band. And I was kind of doing my solo thing. Um, we were in a family band with our dad called Deuce and a Quarter. In fact, I have a tattoo on my uh, left arm that says 225. A lot of people want to know what it means. It's simply just a car, a Buick Electra 225. Um, and so our family band was named after that. And then, but you moved here first. Yeah. I did, yeah. How, how far ahead of TJ? Um, it, it was a, bit, a little, a, a kind of staggered. Um, so I went to Belmont, and I started in 2000. And then I want to say you came in around 2001 or two, something like that. Yeah, and I think was two, yeah, something yeah. Like that. So you moved down here before you graduated high, graduated high school. Ended up going to high school here for like a year or two. Moved back to Maryland to graduate. The, the funny part about it... took it, me five years. I know the math. I can see you over there, Bobby. You're like, hmm. Yeah. Five years. Well, he loved high school so much. He stayed, <laughs> stayed around for an extra year. And yeah, um, exactly. the, the, the kicker there is I hated it so much that I didn't that I wasn't that attentive. So then it added an extra year. So I really like showed myself there. Like, oh, that's, wow. You hate this so much, you're getting an extra year of it. It is backwards, isn't it? The more you love school, the less you have to do it. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that is true. So the, um, but the kind of side note, so when I was uh, 18 when I moved here, TJ, so I was like, 18 or 19, something like that, when I was at Belmont, TJ had come to live with our mom in Nashville for a short period of time. But um, I had a dorm room, like a triple at Belmont, which was like unheard of. And my two roommates like dropped out right before the semester started. And I had this huge room to myself. It was amazing. And TJ would come just like sleep, you know, in the dorm room. And if we would go to like a Belmont party, which at those days, you'd be lucky if there was like four people and that was a Belmont party. And um, TJ, they all thought he went to school because he, he always had this like deep voice. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm I was like 16. Everyone's like, what's your major? And I would just tell them music business because I know no more questions would follow that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like boring. And um, yeah, so he, he moved back and I was still like, I, I changed my major a bunch of times. I actually started in bass um, because I got a scholarship and my parents were like, well, if you play bass, there's a lot more work for bass players. There's too many guitar players. Yeah, which is another interesting side note there is John was an incredible upright bassist. I mean, he actually went to Belmont on a bass scholarship. You played the big, the boom, 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 <laughs> Yeah, the, the big boom, boom, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that whole thing. Like, you you cla- flipping stuff? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, he played like classically. Classical. Like he played with the Baltimore, like the Baltimore Symphony, even um, they would have this where they would get kind of the first top chair people in the state to come join them for some concerts and john was you know it was one of the one of the kids they picked out of high school to come up and play with the Baltimore symphony playing upright bass yeah it was thank you incredible i I was total nerd but that's what i did and um but i didn't love it you know so when i went to school i was like man i just i'm not loving this thing i really want to play guitar kind of like you were talking about the grand Ole opry and you were 
kind of made to watch it, and then it took you a minute to love it. That's yeah. how we were with bass. And then um, eventually, I, I I changed my major to guitar because I'm like, I love, I really enjoy playing. This is where my heart is. And then I switched my major to music business, switched it back to guitar. And I'm like, man, I'm like four years in. I've got like 500 hours or credits later. I, I, I there's no way I'm going to graduate. And I'm already like doing it. I'm getting calls to go play. I'm traveling, you know, four hours, making like a hundred bucks, and being like, this is great. And um, so I, I bailed from school. Um, but around that time, TJ came back after he graduated high school. And then that's when we both moved here. So he had mentioned this band, Kingbilly, that I was in. Um, my, one of my best friends from uh, college, Josh Matheny, who's you know played on like a bunch of hit records as of recent. He's a great dobro player. Um, we joined a band. Charlie Worsham was in that band uh, and a bunch of other really, really great musicians. Um, we ended up getting a publishing deal. TJ and I at the time had been writing a lot of songs off to the side. The King Billy, the band I was in, cut a few of those songs. So he got signed to the publishing deal, uh, to that same publishing company about a year or two later. Well, quickly, what happened? Because now King Billy lives in like everyone's mind as one of the greatest bands that should have been massive because of the success of you. Just individually. Charlie. Yeah. Yes. And so everyone's like, King Oh, I saw them once. It was the summer. I mean, you're, yeah. it's like this legacy. It was of, an incredible band. I mean, I remember it was like, yeah, it was the show to go and see. But what, what, what happened? Why did it not happen, I guess? You what know, I, I don't know. I, I could give, I could try and give you a hundred reasons as to why things do and don't happen in this industry. And I would probably be wrong every time. And so much of it is just being around the right people, the right time, the right songs. I mean, I listen to the songs. I'm like, yeah, they're really, really good songs. And some of them are really great, but... Maybe they just weren't, you know, I think we were pretty muso about things. Like, we're all, like, way too smart for our own good when it, when it yeah. came to music Even the then. term muso, I think, is probably for most people's heads. Yeah. That's like, you know, when you're you're so musical that it's just, like, only nerds would like it. Yeah, yeah, it, it got there. Um, and I don't know, man. I don't know. I wish I could give you an exact reason. Timing is everything, you know. I, I mean, Bobby, you know, you've seen amazing, and you are such a, a supporter of new music and new artists. You're very rare in that way. Um, and you've seen it firsthand. Like, this is amazing. Like, I can't wait to see this thing blow up. And two years later, five years later, nothing happens. And no one knows. No but the one, one knows. thing that is, like, really interesting now in retrospect is, uh, obviously, everyone is like, how did this band not take off? And... You know, I think now, I think looking back, probably most of the people in the band, I mean, particularly us, it's like, well, we would have this would have never happened. And certainly, sure. as you look back, yeah. different. And at the time, I was doing solo stuff because John was in an established band in town. Like, but really, uh, outside of the bands that were playing nationally and super famous, they were the the biggest band in Nashville. And I um, just was like, you know, I need to do my own solo thing. John's at the time it was really well known as a great guitar player. And I didn't really want to um, kind of rest on his laurels or whatever, or ride his coattails. So I, I wanted to uh, just make a name for myself. And so I'd go out and perform. John, would, a lot of times, would join, play guitar. And people always commented on just the the two of us together. There was something that we didn't really notice because we just played together our entire lives. It didn't feel necessarily that special to us. And yeah, but people kept saying it over and time and time and time again. Like the two of you is something you got to do something together. Um, and then once um, we decided to do that, I mean, within a year, we were signed to, to Capitol Records. I was watching the hot, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition. Do you guys haven't seen any of that at all? Any clips? I don't, but I, I find it very fascinating. So yes. b- before but the hot dog them. part, 
before the Joey Chestnut eats 70 hot dogs. <laughs> Is this his name? This is his name. Great name. Great yeah. name, yeah. There's a competition. That cannot they, be his real name. They drink a gallon of lemonade, and it's who drinks the gallon of lemonade the fastest. Before they eat the hot dogs. Well, one guy did both competitions. And the, guy, the, <laughs> the, the guy who won the lemonade also didn't win the, the hot dog, but also drank the gallon of lemonade, won, then went and ate, and finished, you know, fourth, fifth. He's a superhero. Oh my my point is, and you're going to see. And he me probably weighs like 80 pounds. Those people yeah. somehow are like, what is going on? Sorry. What I saw John just do with a bottle of water is what the guy did with the lemonade. Somehow <laughs> he chose. Would you get John another bottle of water? It's like he took one. It's like he took it up, made one swallow, and the whole thing was gone. <laughs> I was wondering where the hell you were are going you- with that. <laughs> are yeah. you dehydrated, my friend? I don't know. Do I-, I just love water. This drives Lucy, my wife, Lucy. Silvis, who have you you've played before? It drives her crazy about how much I love water because she hates water. I'm like, what is there to hate? It's amazing. Like, it's cold and it's dehydrating. And she's like, she sees how much I like water and she gets so annoyed. She thinks I'm doing it to just piss well, her off. The one thing though is that but Lucy, I I love it. Lucy doesn't drink much alcohol, so I think if she downed like 15 beers the night before, yeah, then she would know. <laughs> she would want to be consistently. Thank you. I'm just day. consistently uh, hungover. Well, I was listening to TJ tell the story about going solo, but over on the side, I just I I was like 93 percent there, but in my part of me was going, that's the weirdest. That's like the. <laughs> the best, the most solid water drinking I've ever seen. It's like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. I love it. <laughs> let, let me let me talk this. And I, I've told this story with you guys around, but for anyone that's listening new to this, because this is a whole different podcast that goes a lot of different places. The first time that I saw you guys, I had been dragged to what they call a radio show boot camp. Yes. It wasn't about country music. Heck, I wasn't even in country music. I was. I had built my own syndication company, and I was doing. Uh, pop and hip hop, but I was getting trouble because I would put Dirks on, I put Willie on. They'd be like, "Why are you playing country music on pop radio?" Kind of what it happens now, just on the other side, where mm. I'll bring in Pharrell or I'll yeah. bring in somebody, and they're like, "Why are you bringing in Pharrell on a country?" Mm-hmm. I just always knew what I liked. It didn't matter to me really yeah. what format it was. I think sure. most people are that way. I think people are too, right? Mm-hmm. But I was over there doing that, and we we're in this theater, and I was ready for some other, you know, jabroni to get up and talk about something in radio that I thought was lame. <laughs> and they were like, "All right, before we go." <laughs> We got these two guys we want to showcase to you. I think it was Chicago. It was in Chicago, yeah. yeah. And they were like... I'll never it, forget this. This is one of the most awkward moments in our life. It was hey, awful. For both of us, guys. Yeah, that's good they to hear. They were like, awful. Brothers Osborne. And I was like, Ugh. music? Like, I'm trying to... like. And I also don't know if you recall this, but they said, Brothers Osborne. And then the guy decides in that moment to change the batteries in the microphones. Oh, I'm like, did. why didn't right. you do this like 10 <laughs> minutes ago, dude? Are you kidding me? So we had to stand there on stage while everyone had been... They had clapped finished clapping five minutes ago and he's changing one by one these batteries i was like oh my god i could kick you straight off the stage right now and uh and we started performing and no one really cared can i say another thing though about that i found really bizarre about that yeah, since you worked in, bizarre, in different yeah. like formats of radio why are the pop radio people so insanely arrogant like i feel like a lot of them pop have stations are too uh, but but i find like these people you know like i feel like it's probably unusual in country like you you actually do know uh, most, if not all, the country artists that come through here, but they always pretend like you'll listen to a pop station and they'll be like, oh yeah, I was hanging with my boy Drake, and I'm like, I guarantee that you maybe just saw him in right. a meet and greet, and it's so weird, and they're like the most, con- and at that thing, I found it almost like unbearable to watch these people coexist together, because you had the country people who were like really cool and hanging out, and some of them have their their egos, 
And then all the pop people were like, screw the country guys. Even though I'm like, these guys have stations that are like five times the size of yours. I don't know why that why that happens, but it's weird. Culture. The answer is culture. Mm. You are, in the pop world, taught to look as cool as you absolutely can, even if you don't have it. Mm. In the country world, and I find this with myself, too, because I'm in California a lot working. In the country world or the Nashville world or the South or whatever you want to use, you know, we are taught, hey, even if you are cool, kind of scale it back a little bit because nobody gives a crap. Nobody does. Right. So it's it's basically that. That's the difference. Pop radio versus Los Angeles versus mm. Nashville versus country radio. Mm. It's when I go and sh I'm shooting American Idol. They think that I am, first of all, showing up with a hazy, you know, overall <laughs> hazy. Yeah, 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 but yeah, they're yeah. also like, he's just the greatest guy. He's just the, and it's like, I'm like everybody else here. Mm. You know, I don't get an award for being the greatest guy. I'm a good dude, but yeah. everybody, you, you got to be a good is. dude around here or you don't survive. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird when someone's like... They'll prune the bad dudes here. Oh, big time. Quick. And Real so, quick. Yeah, and they're like, oh, he's just the greatest. Because there, if you don't show up with an entourage, even if you can't afford it, that's an, that's anti that culture that they promote. So that's a it was yeah. that's such and a wonderful here, observation so that you saw because that's how it is. Here, if you show up with an entourage, you everyone's laughing at you. Like, yeah, they're like, what are you Doosh. doing? Yeah, boo! <laughs> everyone's like rolling their eyes. I mean, that's like in the same way that Vince Gill, arguably the greatest singer and songwriter musician of all time of all genres, shows up by himself to like an event and wears his lanyard around his neck with his name on it just to make sure that everyone he can get backstage to a place he's playing and then he's just cool and then he packs up his own guitar and walks off and drives his own ass home i'm like wow if he can do it anyone can do it right i mean yeah. i saw stapleton drive up to a show once in his old truck in nashville get out be like hey i'm chris and they were like Oh, you are him. And they just like let him in. He just <laughs> literally, Stapleton drove his old truck, parked it behind the Ryman and walked in the back just to do his show. Yeah. And I was like, but yes, it's a culture. Yeah. People in that pop culture have to act cooler than they are. People in this culture have to act less yeah, cool than you, they are. And you really see are. it too at the Grammy Awards. I feel like it's so funny. Once again, you'll see someone from country walk in and everyone's like, oh, this hokey, you know, SOB. Meanwhile, I'm like, this dude sells like 10 times the amount of tickets you do. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're not that cool. Yeah. Like, just chill. You know, just, just have fun. Why is it such a, a, you know, it's weird that they're like, oh, wow, they're so nice. I'm like, is, shouldn't you just, shouldn't everyone you be just that be way? Nice? And I felt that way too early, but now I just take it. I'm like, I'm the nicest guy in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. Because I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I would go to meetings where, um, uh, and I didn't realize that it was so counter that culture, but I would go to meetings and, pitch TV shows, not for me, because I produced a couple shows, and I would go and I would be like, I go meet, I met with Les, before I got in trouble, I went and met with Les Moonves, who was the president of CBS, mm -hmm. and all of his people, and I showed up by myself at the gate, and I just, you know, took an Uber, got out, and they were like, you're here by yourself? Where's your, are we waiting for your, your team? I was like, I'm the team. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not that hard. And, and they were just so shocked by it, and they said, they, they verbally said, this never happens. Nobody comes alone. This is so refreshing. And I went, oh, I will now do this forever. Yeah. So when I go, and that's what I would have done anyway, mm -hmm. I go by myself. Right. And I show up, I get my little backpack on, and I'm mm -hmm. like, hello, hey, guys. Yeah. But they're like, you're the nicest guy in Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not from Hollywood. <laughs> so, but it is. It's, it's a, definitely a culture thing. But you guys grew up, where you grew up in Maryland, I have to think felt like the South. Compared to well, it's compared weird. to New York and Boston and a place where I go when Philly, I'm in the Northeast. Yes, a hundred percent. I think yeah. it's it's interesting, and I think it's probably a lot of why our music is the way that it is. Is 
we it's like to the northerners we are just like these rednecks down where we're from and then people from the south treat us like we're these yankees and it's kind of like we're in kind of everything no one really wants to claim us i'm not really sure what's going on but it, it is a very like homogenous thing where we, i do we do feel part northeast and part southern it's really really strange that's funny you say no one wants to claim you because i felt for a while because and i'm not just saying this because you're here i've been fans of you guys since I, the first time I heard you, mm. I was just like, "Love you guys," and yeah. I think I think even I would tell you guys that and I'd bring you on the show mm-hmm. and you play oh, the yeah. early stuff. And you've been very supportive. And, and this isn't me; I don't want to hurt my elbow, pat myself on the back. But my point is, is that I felt like even the format country music did that to you for a minute too. Not oh, geographically, yeah. absolutely. But yeah. they're like, mm, they're a little too rock, and they're yeah. gonna be like, "No, nah, they're a little too country." Mm-hmm. Where you kind of were in that same spot where no one wanted to claim you exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Still it's, do. It's, still do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still but do. I, I think you know the thing is, is that we've realized. I think there's a lot of a lot of fans out there who are the same um, for whatever reason, and it's actually been a now that we are where we are. I think we've done really well touring because of that, and uh, we've been able to make a lot happen off of off of comparatively um, not a ton of radio success. And I think obviously to a new artist, we've had a we have had a decent amount of radio success, but we've gotten a lot done with 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 not much. And uh, and to to come full circle though, you mentioned something, and and we were kind of heading there with your story, talking about that that radio seminar thing that was extremely bizarre. And I've told you this before. But um, we just got to meet you. I think you were new to country, so everyone was like, "I don't know about this guy." You know, he's like fresh blood. Everyone's like, and you, you're immediately coming into like one of the the biggest like slots in radio. Um, but you sat there through the entirety of our performance. You did. Most people could care less that we were playing. There was very few people in the room that paid attention, and and I will always remember that. Remember that you um, yeah, were same. attentive to the entire thing. And whether it was because you felt incredibly sorry for us, I'm not really sure. That probably has a lot, a lot to do with it, but thanks, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you talk about, it's you know, when you say we haven't had, as compared to a new artist, a lot of radio success, it's funny because there are some songs that will hit number four but feel like a number one. Yeah. With some artists, right? Not mm-hmm. even talking about you guys specifically, yeah. but Urban will come in and I think like uh, Gonna Fly or something was never a number one. Or, right. Or he's like, you know, but it feels like a number one because people remember. I feel like, because I had to look at like the, the chart to see where you, I felt like you guys get more credit for having radio success because it feels like a lot of your songs were bigger than maybe numerically they were given. I know, it's really Does that strange. Make sense? Oh, 100%. And yeah. You, and you well, are right the way. There's a really kind of a, a I, one of my favorite sayings amongst radio promos people is they always say not every hit is a number one and not every one number, number one is a hit. And, you know, the, it is weird. And John and I just it rack our brains all the time thinking about that. Some artists have a bunch of number ones and you can't remember them. And then some people ne- have hardly any number ones, but you remember all of their material. I, and I, I don't know why it works that way, but I, I definitely feel that way for us. And you, And that was why I really particularly missed playing in front of a crowd for a year and a half is – for us, like a song like All Night, we felt like that would be a big hit. It was, it did okay. But now that we're out playing it, it's like you would have thought the song was, was at number one for a month. I mean, it's goes, people go bananas for it. Now, it was really hard for us to, I think it went to like 20 on the charts or something like that. 25. That, that was, that felt like, like, ah, oh, this rejection. But usually, John and I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that because we're, we're seeing it live and we're like, okay, it's working. But now that we are um, back at it, I'm like, okay, now I get 
you know, what, what we do, why we do what we do, because it works. Uh, and it was extremely hard for us in the pandemic to just only be able to look at a chart position. That was the one, of the, I, again, who knows what chart I'm looking at here. I think this was maybe media base. Yeah. Okay. So all night was one of the ones that I specifically pulled and was like, this thing was only in the 20s? Yeah. yeah. Like, here's a clip of all night. All night. All night. Another one was, and I bet you that it just lights up a live show. It ain't my fault. Yeah. I got to imagine hands come up and that. Oh, yeah, every night. It is. Well, yeah. I got to imagine people hit this song as hard as any number one live. Well, oh, the, yeah. The, the thing is, our biggest, which does very well, our biggest song on um, the chart position-wise or whatever was Stay a Little Longer. But people come, the, the the majority of the crowd, the song they're waiting to hear is this one. I mean, is it ain't my fault. Yeah. That's the one that they call for the most. You know, Stay a Little Longer, I, it was, it was being our only number one, It um people love that song, but they stay for all night. They want to hear it, but they stay for that one. And right now we're on to our current single, I'm Not For Everyone. And we're it's charting and we're doing pretty good, but we're like, uh, hello, can we like, can we get moving here? Like this, we're still just like hanging in the 40s, like what's going on? But now that we're going out and we can play it, and people are already responding like we're playing um, a hit song, it's like okay, it's just there's some there's other things at play here more than than just a chart position. It's a huge part of what we do, but it's not the only thing, and and it can be it can it can drive. I think it dri- even artists that have lots of number ones. If you just look at a chart, it really will just eat you from the inside out. It's really frustrating. Especially from like the 42 to 31 spot. That's kind of like the swampy no man's land. Oh my God, it's Where you're just trying to climb out. Yeah. And if you can get out, you got a shot. And then if you're looking at the chart, especially being in this business now for as long as we have, it's like we know nearly everyone that's on the charts. (laughs) When you see like your your friend jump you, you're like, oh God, I'm canceling dinner with you. I think it all comes down (laughs) to like, what's your, like, what's your own metric, you know? And there are people that live and die by the chart. um, And that's fine. If that's your metric and that's what you base your success on, that's fine. That's, that's how you want to do it. And it's great. I think for us, we have to base our own success off of multiple metrics um, one of them is how well we're doing on radio, but most importantly, like TJ touched on earlier, is how, one, how many butts are you putting in seats? And two, how much fun are they having? And how much are they have much fun are they having during that song? Can you feel the energy? And we have to go off of that metric. You know, we've, we're very grateful for how we've done on country radio, considering that we do sound different. Um, and it has helped us immensely. But if we only hung our hat on just the chart, we would lose our minds, which is honestly why I don't even look at it. I mean, I don't. Because what the hell can I do? I mean, right? I'm not going to call a radio promoter or a, some guy up and be like, hey, can you give me like five spins? That's what our promo team's for. It's just going to drive me crazy. But every time they do play a song, it is a little advertisement for our band. And uh, there's also this really strange disconnect with radio. And, and as John said, to, to me, I think the ultimate just stat is just tickets you sell tickets yeah and um there are people like luke combs who have lots of number ones can sell a lot of tickets and then there's people that like stapleton who doesn't have a ton of radio success but will sell out everywhere he goes casey musgraves or like even an artist like eric church where he has radio success but not as much as you would think for someone who sells as many tickets as he does and that's the thing for me where i'm like you know you look at miranda lambert you know a guy will rail on tour with her i thought god you got all these hits 
And the same thing for her. She doesn't have a ton of number ones. But let's mention all the people who have a lot of number ones can't sell seats. That's my fun game. Yeah, right, no, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Let's avoid I'm that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> and uh, hey, I think we got to go. It's uh, getting a little yeah. late. No, but, uh, but, <laughs> but anyhow, but the, the, and that's the kind of also the thing, like the era that we live in is amazing. That I can tell you firsthand that country radio helps sell tickets and helps blow oh, you yeah. up. I mean, it would stay a little longer. When that was a hit, it was night and day what our shows did. Um, but at the same time, there's so many other ways that there's, and it's, in some ways it's exciting and other ways it's also exhausting because you're like, now it's like, we got to get songs on these streaming services and then we got to do things to promote here. And then we get, it's, there's so much to do, so many angles. And if you ignore any one of them, you're really, it's, 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 I don't know if you're, um, kind of, um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this that, that I can say to your fans, something clean. But like you're an idiot, basically, if you ignore any of those. Yeah. Well, I haven't learned the TikTok dance yet to your new song. So if you guys want to... <laughs> no, it's not happening. No, you guys No. Oh, wow, okay, okay. <laughs> it's not happening. I guess that's why I haven't learned it. You haven't made it yet. <laughs> we should do a TikTok dance where you just sit, stand still. Be like, yeah. Yeah, everyone can do this. Yeah. What? Um. So the tour, we're not the we're not for everyone. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're not, not for not everybody. Everyone. everyone. We're not yeah. for everyone tour. So did you name... Because it's always you name a song... Name the record after the song, after the tour. In what order did that happen? And did you name the tour this because you really felt that or because it was a good song? Or Well, like- a couple different reasons. I mean, I, you know, you we know, I don't know. We, we titled the, the record Skeletons because, honestly, it the song, the song Skeletons on that record defined, I think, the record. It's kind of the centerpiece, the, yeah, it's one the, of the keystone. First, was it the first one we recorded? It's one of the it first one of ones we first cut. Three, I know. And um and then we recorded I'm not for everyone. It was one of the last songs, if not the last song that we recorded. We thought, oh, we got one more day. Let's just do this song. And I'm like, we were thinking, man, I'll sing a verse. That might be kind of cool. It'll just be different. It'll never be a single, but the fans will like it. <laughs> and then um we put the record out and then people started freaking out about this song in particular. And I think it has a lot to do with the message. I mean, you look at the, the, the times that we're in now and everyone is claiming, you know, who they are and this is what I do. And also like coming to terms with the fact that you just can't please everybody, especially in 2020 and 2021. So we felt the traction of the song. So we decided, you know, we got to put it out. And then us, um, it is a bit of our mantra. We are accepting that we just are not for everybody. You look at our songs getting to 20 at best for the most part. And then um, getting to Neil and Travis, who are both a very unique, very awesome left of center artists, it just kind of worked. The whole message seemed to come together at one time. I wish I could say that we were smart enough to see in the future like that, but we're not. And it's just, but we saw how the thing was shaping up and we took advantage of it. Yeah. And I think it is one of those things that you, that John and I wrote it from the perspective of, of, of this is how we feel. And uh, to our surprise, I think nearly everyone feels that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, whenever I, I wrote, so I wrote some very personal things in my first book, and I thought, "Oof, I'm going to share some stuff that's extremely vulnerable." Mm-hmm. And a lot of it had to do with either the drug addiction my mom had before she died, or a lot of the really bad decisions that she made that influenced me, mm-hmm. and that I loved her. But it was a very tough relationship. Uh, I mean, heck, she got pregnant; she was 15, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad left, mm-hmm. and so she had to. But I was going, there was a lot of stuff. And even when she reached her breaking point, she did some things that I know she wouldn't be proud of, but because drugs had a, a, they were taking control of her. Yeah. And so I wrote, and in that, I was trying to tell the story of someone who had been through that 
not through her side of it, but through mine. And I've never had a drink of alcohol and never touched a drug because I've been so scared of it. I wish I could. I mean, and that to me, the one thing I want to do is relax. I'm freaking wild. <laughs> so, um, but I wrote these stories and I thought, man, either people are going to feel sorry for me or they're going to tell me to shut up, but they're not going to understand. And I put it out. And what I learned is, and I say this because you just expressed the same thing to me. What I learned was I never felt so welcomed or like I was included until I felt like I was so not included. Yeah, I right. thought, this is my story. No one's going to understand. Nobody's going to relate. Nobody's right. going to feel like me. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that just because people aren't screaming about it doesn't mean they're not feeling it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, when you say we're not for everyone, we do. That's how I felt about me. But I would be doing a meet and greet somewhere. You know, we'd be on, I'd be doing, someone would come up, hey, it's like, you know, the story about, you know, the, the, yeah. Like that touched me, and I was I like, mean, I, I felt can't that, believe se- that. I felt that yeah. severely when I came out. It was, uh, you know, I thought I didn't know how it would be received. I knew some people would be supportive, and some people would probably hate. But I think the thing that was really um, one of the most uh, um, like recharging things of it, or whatever, or, or inspiring things to me, were the parents and stuff being like, "Hey, my kid." Is, parents of know, other of kids, other, other yeah. kids, yeah. yeah, or being like, "This is great." You know, I've always, I was getting a lot of that kind of stuff of just people who themselves weren't gay. But we're really close to someone who was, and this felt like just like a relief for them, and um, and that yeah. So I know what you mean. It was I didn't expect that, and it was one of the the coolest experiences I've, I've ever felt. Did you feel more love? And you just said this, but I just want to hear this from you again because th- I did. Did you feel more love than you expected? I did, and you know, I, I'm, and I've talked about this um, uh, before, but is is uh, I absolutely felt more love than I expected, and I. Even feeling the love from people that I knew loved me, um, it was it just was so different. It was so overwhelming, and it's a thing I wish everyone got to experience because everyone is loved more than they realize they are. And the kind of sad part is, is a lot of people don't talk about how much they love someone until they've like died or something really tragic. Um, and you know, it was a, a difference of just like someone. You know, it's like I, I compared it to someone just leaves and like, all right, all right, love you, man, see you later as opposed to like someone grabbing you by the shoulders and being like, I love you. Like, and it just was like, wow, it's the same word, but it just hit in such a different way mm-hmm. um, that I, I just thought in that moment, wow, like uh, just for this alone to feel this is, um, uh, it's, it's something I wish everyone could feel for, uh, at some point in time. Why at that point in time? Like, did you guys have a conversation? Like, let's just do it now. Or you finally like, I, I just feel like telling people. Well, yeah. I mean, I always wanted to come out and, and this was a, a huge um, hurdle for me because I was always really, uh, really afraid that it would look opportunistic. And so I never wanted it to, never wanted it to be anything that would just not, here, here, we need some publicity or whatever. Um, and so in order to do that, I always felt like I need to do this at the height of my career. And then through the pandemic, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I just really, one, was kind of the, the things that were important to me were very simple things, things that I've had my virtually my whole life. Was doing the same, sitting around fire or having some drinks, just, you know, chewing the fat with people. That was, I mean, the things that I was still having the same that were fun for me. And I'm like, I can do this, you know, when I, when I was broke, I was having, doing these same exact things, you know. So I just felt like at that point, I'm like, and then also, I, who, who knows when you're at the height of your career? And so then the other fear was, what if I... Have, you never know that you have passed the height of your career until you're on the way down. And then if I come out then, it's still, it just seems like I'd be jumping the shark to people. And so I just felt kind of stuck in this weird thing of like, I'm unsure the perfect time. And then finally, just one day, I just thought like, I, I got to do this. Like, and I got to do it now. And I don't want to go back to work to where I just, it, 
have distractions again. Like I need to do this now where I can focus on it. And, and the other thing too was I want to be able to build my, why would I not want to get to the height of my career being just completely open about who I am and, and what I am. And John and I really pride ourselves for just being who we are. I mean, hell, it's where we're songs. I'm not for everyone. It's kind of like their mission statement, so to speak. And so at that point I was like, it needs, I, I don't know that there ever is a perfect time and there really isn't in your brain until you do it. And then you realize that that was the perfect time. You know what's wild about that day uh, is that that morning was when the Morgan Wallen stuff happened. Oh, yeah. And here I I go and I wake up 3.30 in the morning and I'm clickety, clickety, click. And I'm like, the Morgan Wallen stuff. And I'm getting hit by everybody. Yeah. Because <clears throat> if somebody wants in this format, and I have to be careful now too, which I never thought would be the case with me, people just want a soundbite out of me. Yeah. And they're like, what yeah. do you have to say about Morgan Wallen? Yeah. What do you have to say about Morgan Wallen? Yeah, and, I'm like, and I'm like, God dang, man. I I don't know. I just saw this. I need, and so I get on the air that morning, and because I don't think your story came out until the literal like eight thirty or nine o'clock that morning, which was also interesting because I hadn't even read the article until it went live for everyone else Is to that read right? it. So yeah, it was intense. It was an intense moment when that well, funny went out. I'm on, and I'm like, I got to say something about Morgan Wallen because I'm getting beat up about it. I'm going to say how I feel, and no one had said anything because everybody's just kind of scared. They're all like, I don't want to say the wrong thing either way. Yeah. So I get on, and I'm like, all right, guys, here's the deal. He's got to go away for a little bit and fix himself, but he's get to, he gets to come back. Yeah. And that was my message. Like, we don't cancel people. Like, we don't <clears> need <throat> to cancel people for anything unless you hurt a kid, you hurt an animal. Mm. Or, like, or you're a really, really bad person. Right. right. Yeah. I said, we're not going to cancel him, but if you don't think he needs to go away and at least, like, come on. Yeah. I said, and I like Morgan. Yeah. And Morgan's been here. He's been over mm-hmm. to the house. He's got a good heart. Yeah. Yeah, he's got but a good he's heart. Hit, so, he's got stuff. So I'm dealing with this, and I'm catching it on both sides because I'm the sensible one. I'm not canceling him, so canceled. Cancel country artists are hitting me up going, I can't believe you. Blah, blah, blah. But we know the cancel <laughs> artists are. And the people that are like, no. He, and I'm just being sensible was so tough because I got both sides. Mm-hmm. Then your story comes out. And I mean, I knew you were gay. I didn't, I, I did, you know, but for me, it was big. You said it because I was finally, I would get to talk about it. And yeah. I went on the air and I mentioned it. And everybody's like, talk about Morgan Wallen. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in a way, in both ways, like I felt irritated and great at the same time. Great that people weren't like, we need to hear because somebody's gay. Yeah, you know, because right. I, I just did a show called The Talk where they were talking about you know somebody being gay, and I was like, wouldn't it be great if somebody was gay? And that was, you don't have to announce it. No one it's cared. just part of life. It is, it is what it is. And I, you yeah. know, and I, yeah, and it would be especially great for people who are gay. You know, I would love not to talk about it. And the, the weirdest thing, I have only verbally come out to anyone at this point. I mean, it, it was like, I, I mean, I could maybe kind of one hand. I just people just kind of found out like. You know, I, uh, I mean, hell, I was next to neighbors with Amy, and I lived there with my boyfriend in that house, and I'm sure it was not hard to figure out after amount of, amount of, uh, any certain amount of time that we were together. And so, um, and then it was kind of this really intense thing, because I'm like, well, now I'm about to come out to everyone. And it's just awkward. It's a really awkward thing to do. It's, it's rarely in context with anything that's being discussed amongst your friends. It's a really, it's just a strange, it's just a... Uh, I don't really like to shock people either. You know, it's like, guess what? You know, I, I don't, that's just not how I am. So I've always felt like, Ugh. so in some ways it was kind of relief to be able to just do it all in one thing. And the other thing that was relieving for me too is that I felt like it was kind of this burden for people that did know that felt like they didn't want to talk about it or they could talk about it or felt weird. Can we talk about it? And I'm like, everyone in the room knows. Like, you know, it's fine. I didn't really care all that much, but, and I felt like it was a, a relieving moment for them too because I felt like it was a, um, unfortunately, a, 
um, was, I guess, my cross to bear, so to speak. But I, I think there was lots of people who were um, kind of felt the stress of that. Well, my and my point was, I would have liked that morning to have spoken about representation because I think it's so important. Mm. Whether you just want to see somebody that is similar to you doing something great, then you yeah. feel like you can do. Because I, mm-hmm. even me, growing up a poverty kid, I didn't see people like me doing cool things. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. and so I like to be that for yeah. them, and I like to. So I wanted to have that conversation, and they were like, "That's not for today. Talk about Morgan Wallen." <laughs> and I was like. Well, then, right. then I kept hearing people who were like upset that they're like, "Oh, Morgan Wallen stole your thunder," and I, and and I was like, "This wasn't about getting attention, you right. know." So I was like, "I truly didn't care." If anything, I thought it was kind of a good moment to see that the the variety of what country is going through at this moment. I mean, to have that on one hand and then this on the other is just like, wow, what a time for not only country but just kind of cultural things happening. Um, and I think. For me, it was um, just speaking about from my own experience in doing that. Is I think a lot of people just really think that yeah, with country fans and country artists that were just all these like really narrow-minded, you know, um, Neanderthals or whatever they think. I'm not really sure. And then to to kind of really be part of this group of people that I think is incredibly diverse, more than people realize, and I, and and it's only really recently really becoming that way. But I think there's a lot of country fans out there who have never really been able to have um, to really be acknowledged that much, too, and that we've noticed that people – I mean, you see it really, especially with, with like, Kane out there and, and Mickey or Jimmy Allen, these people that, that now all these people of color are having success. Used to, we see it at our shows, people of color – more people of color showing up. You know, oh, yeah. Before, they, they loved it all along. They just felt uncomfortable. They didn't feel like they belonged um, in the community, but they do. If you get a cold, does your voice get deeper? Uh, I don't have a cold, if that's what you're wondering. No, yes. I don't think you do now. <laughs> it does, Because yeah. if you did, I would be like, COVID. Yeah, it does, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does get deeper? It, oh, yeah. How? Uh, uh, I don't know. You it ever does. do voice? Uh, have, did you ever try to do voiceover stuff? Uh, you know, I just recently kind of started talking about it and then uh, about just doing it just mainly for fun. I mean, I can't imagine there's a ton of money in it, but I... Um, but recently someone told me that like pretty much every person in entertainment has been trying to do voiceovers now because there's been so little work like but now you that can do it all from home that I'm like they're like no we don't need more just 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 sing please well let's not let it be lost on this is like i i would say this is the lady a effect where charles kelly is 10 feet tall so you, <laughs> so you don't realize dave haywood's like 62 or 63 yeah, dave is actually a tall cat <laughs> and yeah, i yeah. say that about you cuz john you have a deep freaking voice too but you're just not yeah, quite where he is it's not quite down there i mean he had a lower voice than me when we were kids i mean i i was in puberty and his voice was lower than mine he hadn't even hit puberty puberty yet and was like what are you done here he like he had an adam's apple at 5 like, what the <laughs> hell's going on <laughs> I, did, I did one time I, I i got in trouble at school for some like silly thing i was just kind of a class clown and then i uh i was able to get home in time to intercept the phone call and they thought they were speaking to my dad and i was like, <laughs> Hello? I was like your son today and i'm like mm, well, i'll deal with it tell me john about when you play is there something that you do see because you're so proficient and Thank i a- and i ask in <clears throat> This is, and I don't mean to be insulting because sometimes people will say, "Hey, man, you're pretty talented." And I get insulted by that because I'm not talented. I work hard. Yes. Well, I, there's you, you. You have to have both. Yeah, you have to have. I agree. Talent's nothing without without working hard. So I ask in the way of naturally, did you have a gift that you felt early? 
do you, are you able to interpret playing or sounds sonic anything different than people you even play with? Like, what is it about you that makes it special? Um, well, I don't want to say that I'm special in any regard. It, I said it, not you. Well, yeah, it's special. Um, or it because <laughs> it is kind of binary when it is it and you. But honestly, I, it's a it's a couple things. Like I picked up on guitar pretty quickly. Uh, quickly. Um, but on top of it, like I loved playing and I loved the process. And um, I remember watching a video with John Mayer a couple years ago, and I wish I had thought of this a long time ago. And he was saying what makes people great is they have to love the process of getting there. And there are a lot of people that have natural ability, but they don't like the process of working at it. And I think more important than natural ability is working hard at it because you can have someone with just a little bit of talent um, and they can work their ass off and then they will get there eventually. Um, and I've seen just the most natural musicians. I used to teach guitar when I was in high school and then some of these kids could pick it up so fast, but then they just wouldn't work hard at it. So I genuinely love learning. I love reading. I love right. knowledge. I just soak it all in. And it gets to a point, and I don't want to get too metaphysical with anything, but there's something called flow and we all get in it. You know, like you have some nights, I'm sure you know this when you're doing stand-up, you have some nights where you're like, okay, I wanna, I'm battling this one out I got through it. And the other nights, it's like you're surfing on a wave and you just can't fall. And not, this is getting kind of heady, but there there used to be the, – the term genius was referred to something that was like metaphysical that lived above us. And we didn't actually have talent. It, we were a conduit, conduit for talent. Um, and I, But I think there is something to it, whereas you, you, get, you work really, 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 really hard, then your brain shuts off, and then you just do it. Like your brain is not even, you're, it's just, I don't want to say autopilot because it sounds bad, but you're just, it seems like something else is flowing through you and you just happen to be the vessel for it. And, you know, that's, I, I believe you look at players like, I mean, look at Keith when he's in the zone. That's like, he, he's not even, he leaves his body. Go look, I mean, any, pretty much any performance of Jimi Hendrix or Steve Ray Vaughan, those guys have left their body and like something else is taking over. But that only comes with, putting in your 10,000 hours and putting that 10,000 hours in over and over and over and over again to the point where your brain just shuts off and it just happens. That was going to be my question. Like, do you get to flow if you didn't put the work in? Like, is the flow a product of hours? I think you can to a degree. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, I would say for me, like, there are certain days, like, I wouldn't consider myself to be labeled as funny. I occasionally say funny things, but I don't think I'm a funny guy. But there will occasionally be a day where I am just like, I don't know what's going on. But I'm just getting all of these like really hilarious things are coming to me, and I'm saying them. Everyone's laughing, and then I might try it the next day, and everyone's like, "Will you shut up? You're not funny <laughs> at all." But I just had that flow that day. Yeah, I was feeling funny. There was something going on. But you know, and I do think that it is like the same thing. Like there is an innate like just talent you would have. Like me having a low voice, for instance, I didn't practice that. I just have it. And um, you know, there is a, a an ability of like for me, it was like, well, I can't sing like a lot of really crazy good singers, like whoever, just whoever comes to mind, Bruno Mars or whoever. But I had to really learn of like how to make a single note, like a whole note, really feel like I was singing 20 notes or whatever. And that's something, yeah, it does take, it takes a lot of time. But the reason why you were able to work on it, in in this instance with John playing guitar, is that he just really, really liked it more than the average person. Most people don't listen to it. They don't want to figure it out. It's like I can go out and like try to build a house and just get a bunch of nails and start hammering things together. But until someone really, still you work at how to actually frame a house out or how to cut this board properly, 
um, is all the difference. Yeah, I actually loved practicing. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, I, you know, I had a scholarship at Belmont to play upright bass and um, and and all that stuff. Yeah, and play the the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, but I never really liked practicing. I did it because I had to, and I enjoyed the playing side of it, but I never. I, I just didn't want to sit down and do it. But guitar, you no one ever had to tell me to do it. I couldn't get it out of my hands. And no, I in fact, sit. there would be times where I'd be like, oh, my God. Like, we would go to bed, and I'd be up. like, he'd still be playing guitar. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude. Like, we're going to be up in, like, six hours. Like, shut up. And I don't know. I don't and know then why. he would be like, all right. And then he'd be like, and then he would be like, okay, well, let me play something that. Lullabies. Because we shared a bedroom growing up, and we grew up in a, in a really, you know, humble, humble means. And so he would, um, yeah, he would then just play like something chill to fall asleep to. <laughs> so but what were you, and not a therapist here, but what were you chasing by trying to get so good at the guitar? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it there is a bit of an addictive quality to it. You know, um, I was, it was a probably, if you would, if you wanted to go into the biological side of it, it was probably serotonin and dopamine hits, just like anybody that's addicted to anything. I just couldn't, I no one ever told me to do it. It wasn't even a choice. I never sat down and, go, and said, hmm, I'm going to choose to want to do this. I, I just wanted to do and it. I think that's that way for most people. That's why I find it so hilarious when someone's like, I'm retiring from music. <laughs> yeah. So like literally you're never in your life going to sing or anything ever again. <laughs> but honestly, like, a, and a big part of it for me too, <clears throat> a big side of it was in school, I was like by far – the farthest thing from the cool kid, very quiet, very shy, very sensitive, picked on by the bullies and all the cool kids. And my the guitar for me was like, okay, this is my play. I feel invincible here. I Maybe it just... Like your safe place. My yeah. safe place. And I felt like it became my identity. And maybe I was chasing that. I don't really know 100%, but I just absolutely loved it. And I'd be in school and I'd be like hiding from my own shadow and it, is, then, it is therapeutic. You know, like our, our oldest sister, Rachel, who, um, you know, God bless her. She's a wonderful person, but can't, she cannot, as, was not blessed. If, there, if you are blessed with music, she certainly was not, and she would admit that. And so <laughs> she always said, she, she's like, anytime you guys are arguing or a moment gets awkward, she's like, you guys whistle. You'll be like, <laughs> we like whatever. And we just instantly kind of get lost in music. And I think there's like, there's something there, which is also writing songs, those types of things. It is a, uh, it's like it is a form of therapy. But I was also very much a, a kind of a, a quiet kind of, I loved solitude. And, you know, I could go to my room. And fortunately, I don't know what I would be as a teenager now. There's way too, you, where they're subjected to, you know, TikTok and all these being an Instagram influencer and then all these video games, which we had video games as a kid, but they're nothing like they are now. I mean, it was just like, I don't know, you played it and whatever. So I was addicted to guitar and if I ever felt, and I've struggled with anxiety, I have had anxiety my whole life, and I've, I've done a lot of work around it, but guitar for me was my medicine. So if I would ever feel nervous or anxious or any type of um, like hinging on or uh, verging on depression, uh, guitar would always bring me back to center. And that's, that's, I think, has a lot to do with it as well. You know, I ask, you know, what were you chasing? And I mean, because I think for, well, for me, I know what I was chasing when I was a kid, and I was trying to perform at anything. If it was radio, if it was I was getting on stage, it was. I didn't have love at home, so I was trying to get it somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. I affirmation of some sort. Just yeah. in, right, and yeah. I, as I'm, you know, I'm engaged, and you know, we're going to get married soon, and all. And she has to slap me in the head sometimes and go, "Hey, you know what? You don't have to like chase that sometimes. Mm, yeah, like you're loved. That's good. I know. That's good. And it's the first person to ever do that to me." 
and I actually understand what they mean. Yes. But and I but I've never heard the because that's another thing you could actually be chasing that serotonin that in that, your brain that, that dopamine hit that absolutely is, that for me is wild to think about because yeah. I know why I did it right yeah I know why I'm still doing it honestly know. you know you, some of that childhood trauma stuff you just don't shake exactly. yeah oh yeah you cope and, and, better and yeah. one of the hardest things and it's amazing that you have such a, a strong woman that kind of shakes you and rattles you out of that because what is enough you know what is enough success you know I, it's like. I was talking about some of these artists, some of the biggest artists in the world. They don't need the money anymore. I mean, there, there's something else here that, right. that they can't shake. There's, you know, there is, it's I'll get a Grammy, and you get one. It's like, well, how many can I get? I want to have the most. I want to, I want to have the biggest tour. I want to sell the most tickets. I want to be sell the most records, and um, and it, it is hard not to get caught up in in that. You know, I think uh, I mean everyone. It starts to feel very much like a competition than like a celebration at any point in time, especially like radio. I mean, it's all. Ratings and where you place and who beat you. Judgment, you know, judgment. It's like crazy, but it gets. I mean, it's yeah. exactly. And the reason why you don't look at it because if you did, go, it would drive you crazy. Absolutely bonkers. Same. Me too. That's why we don't look at the chart. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it does drive you crazy. So at the end of 2019, I had a pretty epic meltdown. Just like very, it was really, really bad. And um, you know, I ended up. My anxiety was at like this crazy high, and I've always kind of dealt with it one way or the other. Um, and I've never really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've like to party and I like to do things to assist me in partying, but I've never struggled with it. Like I never wake up going, man, I need a drink. Like I, I've never struggled with addiction in that way, but I have struggled with workaholism and my, and I, you probably struggle with this too. I've, I always felt like, okay, if it's getting weird, I'll just work harder and then that'll solve my problems. Cause it has done that for years. And really I'm just distracting myself from the inevitable monster that is about to envelop me. And it did in the end of 2019, I went to, um, this place called onsite for three weeks. It was a, a full on thing. You know, it was, it was, it was bad. I got to the point where it was suicidal and I ended up with tinnitus ringing in my ears, brought on by a lot of other different things. I wasn't sleeping. It got really, really ugly. And, uh, it occurred to me at some point that when I was a kid, I would play guitar when I would feel that way. You know, I would play guitar. It would take me out of that. You know, if I was in school and I was anxious, I would go and play guitar. If I was at home and, and it was tumultuous at the home with, like, you know, our parents fighting, I would go in the room and I will play guitar, and it would always make me feel better. And then I pursued a career in music. I'm like, this is fun, and this this is great, and I get to do it all the time. Um, meanwhile, I'm not really... I'm not really taking care of my inner child, which is really what it all boils down to. Um, I'm just ignoring it and I'm making myself feel better, you know? And of course I had moments of like, I'll just drink my way through it and smoke weed my way through it or whatever I had to do. And then um, it got to the point where, all right, we made it. We're success successful. We're Grammy nominated. We're winning awards. We're buying houses. This I mean, is really amazing. Hell, at the time when this is happening, we're on tour with like the dr this dream lineup with Alison Krauss, Bonnie Raitt, and Willie Nelson. Our three favorite artists, period, of all time, top three. And um, I had a meltdown and I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, I broke down. Well, I pulled out of the tour, which was like, Farm Aid. I mean, all these like really huge, yeah. this like huge moment. And and like, I think and two things I realized happened. One, I realized that now the very thing that brought me out of anxiety was now the the was now giving me anxiety was now the reason for it because you know if I felt judgment, I'd play guitar. If I felt anxious, I would play guitar. Um, if I felt picked on or whatever, I'd play guitar. Now this thing is like you're judged a lot. You know, which again, we don't look at the charts. I try to ignore a lot of that stuff, but it is 
a lot of judgment that you get every day. And it's like you'll sign on to Twitter and you're like, whoa, man, you guys are pissed off about things and we didn't even do anything and you're mad at us. So it, it, is, it became a lot. So then I had nothing to fall back on. I didn't even want to play guitar. It, I, it was awful. And the other thing I realized when I was there and through a lot of therapy that I've done since then is you, this is not an uncommon situation to be in. You know, a person growing up and having, you know, trauma, and we all have trauma. No one is... Uh, yeah, no, no one gets one, a hall pass. Yeah, no one gets a hall pass. We all have trauma, big trauma, small trauma. You have it, and you have to deal with it at some point. And it is, it is so not unusual for someone like myself or, or really any of us to pursue a goal because we are... We're, we have this false notion that once we get it, everything will be better. And then the problem is, and this happens all the time, and you see it happen all the time with movie stars, uh, with musicians, just big, you know, anyone that, that finally succeeds in their dream, once they got it, they realized, oh, no, that actually didn't do it. And I've, like, spent 20 years trying to figure that out. Now what? And when you realize that, you look behind you and that giant monster is huge because you never dealt with it. And a lot of times that's why people end up with bad drug addictions and alcohol addictions and in rehab and stuff like that because they never dealt with the, their problem to begin with. So fortunately, through the love of my family and my wife and friends and the people that we work with, our management was amazing. The label was amazing. Jay Joyce, our producer, was amazing. They're like, stop everything. We're done for a month. Go, go take care of yourself. And I did that. I'm so glad that I made it through because not everyone does. It's crazy. You talk about being a workaholic, and we're almost done here. But, um, like, I, I experienced that, right? Like, I hide from things or did, still do. Getting a little better because I have a good support system now. Still do. But I went to on-site, too, because I was like, uh-oh. It, it gets you. They're like, whatever's about to happen ain't supposed to be about to happen. It's, it gets it's you. It's like right. you start to crack. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to catch the cracks before they turned into just full-scale earthquakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So as I, like, I have empathy for you. I don't have I have sympathy for anyone that's going through anything, but I have empathy because I, I understand. Yeah. Right? And oh, that's, yeah. that's what we talked about. What comes back around full circle, we'll end on this. That so many people understand, but because people ain't talking about it, because it's not on social media, because it's not on exactly. Facebook. Everybody thinks they're alone. Uh, dude, that, some, is, yeah. that, is, that is it. That is it right there. And I've told so many people this. The problem that we face in this world, and I think it's a bit of an epidemic, is that everyone, we're all so connected, yet we all feel so alone because you post all of your highlights on social media. But that's not who you are. That's not who you really are. That's why when you wrote those things in your book, it made people feel vulnerability is everything. That's, that's where connection happens. Yeah, I don't go, hi, I'm John Osborne. I've won all these awards and blah, 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 blah. No one cares. But if I said, yeah. hi, I'm John Osborne, I struggle with really bad depression and anxiety. Immediately, vulnerability creates connection. And, that, and talking about it, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Talking about it uh, keeps you from being alone. But you're right, Bobby. Is, when John was going through a lot of this stuff, um, you know, people were coming up like, man, you know, I've, uh, I, you, like my son went through this. We're going through this. People that I was really close to, and I had no idea that they were dealing with extreme problems, and no one was talking about it. And I yeah. kind of felt like, wow, you know. And I thought, well, part of why John is, is in the condition he's in is that he felt so alone, and that he couldn't complain about it because it was it was like he, maybe he felt it was a weakness, or he didn't want to feel like he was letting anyone down, and that he needed to man up and get it together. When there was 
tons of people around you at any given day that are going through some really, really severe things. And that really was eye-opening to me. I was like, wow, I just wish people talked about it more. Oh, yeah, me too. Well, listen, you know I adore both of you guys. Likewise, man. I mean, I couldn't, on a fundamental level, respect and just love you guys Likewise, and, dude. And for somebody I don't hang out with, like I love you. <laughs> yeah, likewise, I don't hang out Bobby. with anybody really. I got like two people to hang out with. You don't have time to hang out. Yeah, with I know, that's what I'm saying. I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to go to bed in like two hours. So, so. <laughs> but I do, and I sincerely mean, it, and I don't tell a lot of people that because I don't mean it. But yeah, I feel know, that man. from you. I hope you guys know that it is as legitimate from me as it possibly could be. Thank I feel, you. I feel we that know that. Thank and, you. And if man. you Back called you. and you said, "Hey, I needed, I need." be picked up i'm down in madison broken down i would come and pick you up well, we know that we absolutely know that yeah and and i and it makes me feel good to know that you are also uh privy to your to your own um you know trials that we all deal with and that you have your soon-to-be wife um who's there just to slap you across the head and remind you hey man sometimes it sucks right? i know <laughs> but it is the best medicine you'll ever get like i it tr- I have been, I'm 41 now, right? I've never been engaged, never even been close to being engaged, never been married. And it's the first, I've never lived with, with anyone. Uh, and so it's like, now she will just go, no. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you power mean? power of no. What do you mean? I, yeah. I know I just want to go spend six hours playing golf with my friends. And she's like, no, no, we have two dogs. We've got gro- groceries to go get. We, it's not responsible. No, I don't got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and, yeah. and it's that the real life stuff, but then it's also the I will spiral, and she's yeah. like, and we'll end on this. This is because we're sharing here. Can I, I can I also ask you a question? Yeah, is one of those times where she's like, no, you're not going to go out and do that, and you stay home. Are you like, wow, this is actually kind of nice? Yeah. At the in the end, I'm like, she's right, but yeah, I don't right. say that out loud yeah. to her. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were um, my TV show that was that is on Nat Geo, and it's doing. Really well. I haven't I haven't watched the show yet, but just the reels, the that reels I see are you post of it hilarious. Are, I'm like, I, I, once we're finished with this, so we don't don't, don't keep going. I want to ask you about the barges because they both of, he and I live on the river and we see the barges uh, all the time. Yeah. I've got like a million questions. But go well, ahead. so I, we do this show, and I'm like, I I've been waiting to do my own. I created this show myself, and it's kind of like part jackass, part dirty jobs, part what I do on the radio show. But I combined all these elements, things I love, and made this show about people, diversity, and I'm like, I just want to get it on the air. Nat Geo buys it. I'm like, all right. Oh, I just, it's got to have huge ratings. Week one comes out, huge ratings. I'm going crazy. Every week I'm going crazier about something else. It gets on Disney+. Plus. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's on their front screen. And I'm like, if I'm on the front screen and it's not one of their biggest shows, they're not going to want it anymore. And she will grab me and say, oh, yeah. you are spiraling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to. And, yeah. and I listen. Yeah. And it's I don't listen to anybody. It's yeah. amazing you have that. Yeah. It's the blind Good spot, right? We all have a blind spot, and you have to have someone there to tell you what's in that blind spot. And she's doing that. She lives there. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. important. thing. Yes. Okay, listen, you guys, Brothers Osborne are going to be out. Uh, we're not for everyone. The tour dates all July 29th through November 20th. They're out. You're out all the time. I've oh, never yeah. seen so many dates in one like We're making season. up for lost time, man. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. They're doing four shows in Boston in one hour, apparently. It's, <laughs> this, um, but, but uh, no, you guys check it out. As you can see, um, I love the guys. Follow them, at Brothers Osborne. Very funny on social media. Uh, appreciate you guys' time. Love you, appreciate Bobby. you, Thank Bobby. you, buddy. We did an hour. We did over an hour. That's, sometimes things go 15 minutes, and I'm like, well, that was good, folks. <laughs> but I uh, uh, just appreciate you guys, and i uh, see you soon. Likewise, buddy. Take care.